0: This is the multi-sport podcast for triathletes, duathletes, sportive riders, road racers, time trialists, runners, mountain bikers and fitness enthusiasts. Whatever your distance and whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster. So it is the 2nd of March, 2014. I'm at the Traffenschef Sandown, and I'm sat opposite Dave Scott, who needs no further introduction than I'm sat opposite Dave Scott. Hi, Dave. Hello, Joe. We were just talking about uh, different types of training, and, and um, we were on about the, the VASA train at the VASA and, and so forth, and you were saying, you, you said something about you don't like big sets on that type of machine. Tell me more. Well, I don't like big sets because
1: Generally, even the top athletes have quirky biomechanics. And, and very specifically, when you grab the, the pull paddles on the bossa and you're trying to set your elbows, everyone elevates their upper traps and they internally rotate with their shoulders. and So their, their, their pecs are engaged and their upper traps are engaged. And, and that's not the proper swimming position. So you have to first teach them to retract their mid-traps and their low-traps so their scapula comes back. And uh, and it's more difficult, but you also want to kind of contract your, your transverse abdominis at the same time, just as you do on the bike and the run. And that's a course-like muscle that really stabilizes your core. You don't really notice on the bus because you're on a fixed bench. So I always tell people, okay, we've got to draw your belly in. They're lying down the bench and they don't really get it, but yeah. you, the, the transverse in the pool. And then to relax your upper-traps and, and squeeze your mid-lower back so your scapula is a little bit flatter, and then set your elbows. Yeah. So, uh, getting back to your question, I, I think it's kind of crazy to go in there at at stroke rates that are slower than your threshold pace. I think the advantage that for most of the triathletes is that they need to bring up their top end. So you can do speed sets, you can do VO2 sets, you can do threshold sets. And I don't really even do any kind of mixed threshold. I don't go longer than that. I think spending 30 minutes or 40
0: minutes on it is kind of silly. Right, okay, okay. Um, and the, the initial Dave Scott book, we spoke about it. Um, was that 88 that came out? <laughs> no, exactly before that. <laughs> people, people brought people him up here, and their, the first cover was
1: four-time uh, Ironman champion. And, and that was—I can't remember—that was eighty-four. Yeah, eighty-four. Okay. Eighty-four. Yeah. So that was in the, when it first came out. So it's—it's it's been quite a while.
0: But Joe, the energy, the energy systems, and the way in which you looked at training was like no other book that was around at that point. In terms of breaking down sessions into different—you know—you talk about the uh, you know, the VO two sets and the the. Well, the focus on strength and conditioning, which is now still not really taken on board, even for people that swim, bike, and run, how much, particularly as we talk about quirky biomechanics or injury, Mm -hmm. that some people, some people don't do it, and they are getting away with it, and and perhaps they are the, you know, the super triathlete that somehow gets away with it. But for a lot of people, strength training then was one of the things you always talked about, and it's always seemed to come up as as a facet of very important, particularly Ironman training programs.
1: No, I don't think it's just Ironman, Joe. I think it's across the board. I mean, I, I don't know what the Brownlee brothers are doing. They're darn fast. But there's going to be a point in their career. They're young and they're raw, and their, their strength power outputs are, are quite high. I mean, you can look at early 20s. And typically, it goes up to, to 30s. But if, if we're just doing a lot of endurance work, they're going to see a decline. And really, you want to do it so you prevent injuries down the road. And you, and you develop that symmetry. And, and across the board, Chrissy Wellington and Craig Alexander—they are they so asymmetrical. They had one dominant side, one very, very weak side, and they had niggling things like hamstring, low back, and you know. From the surface, you say, "Well, why do you want to touch them? You know, they're already brilliant." I said, "Well, are they as good as they want to be?" And and both of them would say, "Oh, no way! You know, I, I want to improve. I want to get faster." So. Uh, you know, I think every everyone needs strength training, and that's a real big umbrella statement. Like, what does that mean, and yeah. you know, what type of strength training? You know, the book that I wrote years ago. I mean, that stuff is antiquated. So, that whole chapter is totally different from what I did back then. And, and the you know the the high sets, the VO two sets, we do those in the boss, we do those on swim bike run, and, and I have longer blocks because I think a lot of the athletes that go into half Ironman or Ironman training it gives them a license to go slow, and I think it's a huge mistake, uh, c- because we're, we're going to see, as we all already are, the best athletes are going to gravitate up from the Sprint Olympic, and they do the halves, and there's, that, that transition's not terribly difficult for them, so, you know, we'll see the Brownlee brothers smashing everyone, and Gomez is doing it right now, and, and, and they'll step up, if they would like to do that, to the Ironman race, and. You know, I've said this for years, way beyond my end of my time, that the athletes today are so fast running, men and women, but they're not running fast in Ironman distance. I think it's a combination of the training, we were talking about this last night as well, um, and, st- and strength training, but those ITU athletes should be going 2.30 off the bike in an Ironman race. Okay, okay.
0: And, and so it's not... Okay, let's turn that around. So is there a, a strength conditioning is, is antiquated? Is there going to be a, a new Dave Scott book that actually goes back and says, hey, we've got a lot of things right, but this is what, or is it not something you're all that interested in doing?
1: Uh, you know, you know how, how, do, how do you spread the, the, the knowledge, whether it's my knowledge or someone else who seemingly is a wizard in this area, I and mean, there's lots of people that know a lot more than I do, Um, I I teach a class in Boulder, and I have a strength and engine prevention class. We have pros, we have amateurs that are in there. And and again, the pros are are as shocking as the amateurs, and sometimes even worse, good ones. So uh, the, the the stuff that that I teach right now, and I actually teach with my my uh, partner, who's a physical therapist and exercise physiologist, and and we've just found that you know doing single leg exercises with movement, so you're not just in that sagittal plane, is really really huge, and that, that again that that doesn't define the whole the whole arena. Uh, kind of across the board, we see calf strength that is really shocking. So we do even a simple calf raise where they're tightening their their transverse abdominis, they're tightening their glutes, feet are about the width of their run stance, and you have people just go up on their toes, and almost uh, I would say maybe seventy percent of them will kick outside. They they and they end up supinating, so they go out to their little toe and then come up. And and, and ideally, you know, when, as you know, Joe, when you're running and you come down, there's a little bit of natural supination but you want to kind of come down and really sort of be right over that middle toe yeah so your weight distribution and your is a, across the board, the platform of your foot, and you're maximizing the tendons of, of, of your foot and the muscles of your foot and your toes so that you do get a nice, efficient push-off. But you see athletes, they flare out. And so that he, causes things elsewhere. Oh, yeah. Causes, so you, they follow that chain all the way up. It's going to cause more problems. And this is a huge problem with the triathletes. It causes more problems on the lateral side. So the peroneals get real tight in the lower leg. And then the IT band and the lateral quad get real, real tight. and, and, and that's and that's very common. You can take the triathletes, and they have brilliant lateral quads, I and mean, they're ferocious, but their VMO is really, really weak, and their internal external rotators, their glutes are weak. So it's a lot of times cued just from their calves. Uh, you know, I can kind of jump all over the board in this conversation. So that's one of the areas. We do single leg stuff so they can feel the pressure on their feet. They can feel it when they do calf raises. And and we do different permutations of calf raises, not just stand against the wall and light finger touch. With single leg, we do a lot of eccentric loading coming down, do bent knee. And I don't, you know, I don't stack on, uh, you know, 50 kilograms
0: on their shoulders because they do it improperly. It's just body weight in this thing. Yeah, and body weight is what they support. So if they can't do that right, the 50 kilos is going to exaggerate that effect. Exactly. Yeah, and and so strength and conditioning is is like training, is like nutrition. Actually, the moment that you say that particular area is important, the problem is, is that there are so many facets of that particular area, you've got to work out. You know, there isn't the the golden um, formula of nutrients or or strength conditioning or aerobic exercise at a certain level. Actually, there's so much intricacy to work out what the athlete needs.
1: Yeah, there's intricacies, but I would would say just experience-wise that there are some fundamental exercises, and I would say this, that everyone should do, uh, kind of across the board. And, you know, obviously, as you just stated, you, you start with a... A, a simple level, and visually a simple level, but to actually have the athlete choreograph themselves in, in holding that position is, is quite difficult. And uh, I'm not going to use any names, but we see people, see athletes, good athletes, in their late 20s and their 30s, and they go on a single leg stance. Both legs are tight, and they're soaring like a bird. We do this one. They're not... Um, they're they're, they're keeping their back legs straight, their TA is real tight, their shoulders are retracted, and just have them hold that position for 30 seconds, 45 seconds, virtually impossible. And, you know, people are dumbfounded. I mean, I can do it, I'm an old guy because I do it all the time. you know, I'm just bloody crazy about it, not deteriorating so fast. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but the strength stuff—you have to practice it. And if you take, you know, a, a, a younger athlete, and they just don't have their neuromuscular pattern to do it, and, and, and therefore they're going to compromise when they're actually doing the activity. And, and I think that's why we see a lot of the athletes really crumble, um, you know, in the latter half of all races, whether it's Olympic
0: distance or, you know, a half or a full. Okay, Okay. Um, we're going to do this conversation in a, in a couple of halves, so um, I'm going to nip away and then I'm going to come back with a, with a few questions about things you were saying earlier about um, power, about things that relate to, to power training on the bike. But also the, um, the nutritional aspect, because that's come a long way from uh, from figs and uh, <laughs> some of the guys. <laughs> some of some of the guys using beer. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um,
1: yeah. Well, There's a big placebo effect if they get through some race. And a lot of people think, "Oh, that's it." And that's it, the way to do it. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Well, You know, and I, I was an idiot for using figs and bananas way back when I just had a cast iron stomach and was able to get away with it but I don't think I was really digesting that food it was sitting in my gut for a long time (laughs) anyone who followed Dave Scott and his figs they had trouble, they were (laughs) jumping in the bushes (laughs) you know they wanted to give me a black eye when they were done
0: but uh, yeah it was catastrophic Okay, we will catch up with part 2 in a moment thank you Okay, so it's uh, part two of the podcast with Dave Scott. We've moved from upstairs to downstairs. We've uh, perhaps uh, transversed a few hours now, and we've uh, eventually, amid the chaos of the triathlon show, which has been incredibly busy, we've we've now sat back down, Dave, and we just touched upon last summer's uh, 70.3 for you. So... tell tell us about the race because it'd be be lovely to hear about the inside out of what went on and and how you you know and and, and how you felt about it and (laughs) kind of you know well the the, the spot you picked here
1: Joe is right over the biggest air conditioning outlet in the entire complex so it it feels like Uh, How I felt in Hogesend, Norway, last year, I uh, went there with great ambition that I'm going to do a 70.3 and really smash it, whatever that means. Was there a time in your mind? Well, there's a hidden time, I, 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 You know, you don't announce that I was 59 last year, and you want to keep it kind of quiet. But I thought I could go, like, maybe between 4.10 and 4.15, somewhere in that range, and... This uh, is my lifetime PB. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I had a good chance at it because the I actually felt good on the swim and uh, I didn't know it. It seemingly had the fastest amateur swim, but I, as soon as I got on the bike, uh, it was raining, about twelve degrees, and I, I was totally soaked within you know the first five minutes. I was frozen, yeah. and. Uh, you know, droves of people started going by, and I said, "I gotta go, gotta go." And I, you know, I was confident in my cycling. and I said, "I felt good." And I actually had ridden the course there a couple of days prior, and it was a sunny day; it was beautiful, and I, my legs felt good. I said, "Well, I'm gonna be able to <laughs> to, to get on it on race day," and uh, I, I just shut down. I was I was so bitterly cold. Uh, I was shaking a couple times and actually got off, got off uh, with about 20K to go and just stood on the side and tried to warm up a little bit. Wow, wow. Yeah, it was hard. I have a funny hand because I um, was hit four years ago, so it, it's always a good uh, barometer or thermostat for me. It was totally white. And my fingers were white. and uh, you know, No, no excuse me. I mean, the rest of the field seemingly was doing fine. I'm sure there were other cold people out there, but I was... I was I was chilly. My partner also did it and she kind of had like symptoms. Uh, she, she was frozen, but got to the run and uh, the first 10K I said, I don't think I can finish this this half. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I felt good over the last 11K. It warmed up and I actually ran okay the last 11K. I looked at something to salvage out of that race. I said, well, the swim was solid. The bike was dreadful and the, the last 11K was decent. So, you know, it, it was it was a
0: it was a fun week I had out there, I, and I'm hoping to go back. Okay, okay, okay. Um, and do do you um, do you have that? That that feeling of, of of still those numbers you wanna you wanna prove to you you have got those numbers you know because we all do make a mental note of what we think we can do and and you've looked at the training and you can you can pitch that time based on what you know you're doing in the what laps you're doing in the pool and stuff and and obviously when the weather gets in the way it, it it's an irritant to what you think hold on a minute that didn't roll out as I wanted it to be. Well, I guess if the weather seemingly was fair with everyone
1: else, in other words, they all suffered along with Dave Scott, I would have felt good about my day, but I just felt embarrassed by the whole thing. and. Uh you know, I, do I have a time? I, I think when the gun goes off, it, it really hasn't changed. Uh, other than I have done races where I've started in the back and sort of weed my way through and talk to the people and so on. But this race, you know, I thought I'm going I'm to race this. I'm not chatting with people. I'm gonna...
0: <laughs> I'm not <laughs> trying
1: to trying to pull something out of the hat. But um, so I, I think going into a half again, that, that would really be the only way that I would do that. It's, it, it's an arduous, long, hard race. Anyone who does a half and extends themselves knows that. It, you know, if you're going to be four hours or five hours or whatever your time is going to be, it's a good work day. Yeah. And uh, I, I can be jovial for a 10K run, but for a half Ironman race, no. So uh, I, this year I don't know what I'm going to do, Joe. I, but you've you booked your flights. You're there, are you? Well, I haven't booked my flights. I'm still trying to work out a, a deal with them. And uh, I actually had trained a number of the Norwegian athletes for an 18-week program prior to the race. That and a lot of them were first timers. So uh, that was a lot of fun. We had 15 people, and we're trying to do that again. And and we put on a couple of clinics throughout the week. And that's been expanded at least on paper. And I'm, you know, I'd like to go over there for a
0: week and then have a good race day. But if that doesn't happen, that's that's okay. Yeah. And do you, do you find you come over to your uh, I don't know once every six months, once every four months? You, do you make, uh, a, do make do make a, a point of, of sort of moving out of Boulder and, and going places, or is it or is it that you'd like to stay there and occasionally come this way?
1: Oh, I, I, you know, I've loved to travel, and the opportunity to travel is is now taking more time to, you know, visit with people, to you see just know too to many people, <laughs> to see the culture. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I was pretty myopic when I raced. I, you know, I, it didn't matter if it was Houston, Texas, or if it was a Beatles Blues or Bermuda. I would, uh, you know, just go there to, to race oh, okay. and. Uh, my little hovel was the hotel that I was staying in and do my race and get out of there. Yeah. But, I, you know, I don't want to do that anymore. And I, have tra- I did travel a lot last year. I had five international trips and um, had a camp in Italy, which is quite a bit of fun, and down to Brazil. And I've got a, a big trip lined up in Australia uh, at the end of this year already. Uh, I'll be at the Penrith 70.3 race, and they want me to race at that one. So that one's kind of on my silent uh, race agenda. So, yeah, I'd love to come over I, uh you know people can find me pretty easily, and uh I still go to a number of races and do my fluffy stuff at bad races and, but but, I like talking to people it's It's not that it's an imposition it's
0: I enjoyed doing that, that's, that's, I guess, maybe part of my job, but also part of my character. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, a, a little birdie told me that you're already coming back next year to this triathlon show. Did you know that? <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Oh. <laughs> well, it was nice coming
1: back for the 25th, but uh, I'll <laughs> yeah, see you in another 25 years. <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. I'm not sure my life cord is there, but uh, yeah, I'd, uh, I'd be certainly open for an invitation. And, and working with Hoob uh, Wetsuits, uh, we're going to launch a Dave Scott line a real high technical line and and so having presence here uh, in the UK is really important and getting it in the States obviously we want to expand that we're just touching the surface right now yeah. so it's you know it's probably important to come over here business-wise but it's also been a been a fun trip even though I haven't gone to bed before 1am 1 1 every morning I, 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 everyone has a
0: relentless battery here that just doesn't diffuse. yeah I think this this show particularly and there are other triathlon shows around this part of the year but this show is, is sort of built on a you know on a basis that there's a lot of people here that are yeah. Not just at the core of the industry now. They've been around for a few years. The names and the people have been around. And, and, and as such, therefore, it's almost like they, they make contact. You know, they, uh, they, they, they kind of almost use this as a, as a stepping stone, not not just for business, but for their whole triathlon year. You know, they kind of come here, they see people, and and off they go. It's, it's you know, we're, we're just on the beginnings of the... The triathlon season is just on the horizon. Most of those, um, we we're talking about pool-based events, most of those start in the UK, you know, kind of into early April, and then most open waters start sometime in May. So this is kind of positioned such that people almost get their end of winter, you know, motivational weekend, come and see some products, buy some things, and then off they go. And, and every year it seems to get more, not more hectic. Just there's more people bumping into more people, sure. and I think the industry is definitely on a, you know, on a, on a good growth. And the, the sport continues to amaze with how how, how broad and, and, and how deep it's going in, in people's you know people's goals, but also the level to which. Um, a lot more, I was going to say a lot more normal people do it these days, but you know what I mean? A, a, lot, yeah. a lot more people that are just next door have done yeah. a triathlon. Not just the abnormal ones. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> was the, you know, we got called, I remember being called very nicely when we were at a family party, and I'd always done running, and, and then went on to do triathlons, and, and I think one of my aunties or uncles that I hadn't seen for a very long time went, oh, yes, Joe, you're the one that's the fitness freak, aren't you? Yeah. And it was kind well, of like a calling card. Yes, that's me. I'm the fitness freak. <laughs> well, that's not too bad. I've been called other names that are a little a little more slanderous than that one, so that, that's not bad at all, Joe. Yeah. Do you find it in the U.S.? Is there a a growth uh, uh, in here the UK's market is definitely still on the way up is it is it happening that way in the US yeah numbers are still going up
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, entry level people are still, are still yeah. going up opportunities you know for the sport are, are still there it, it, it's still uh, you know unfortunately in the States it's, it, it's very costly mm-hmm. you know, to do an event to do a race yeah uh, to pay that entry yeah. fee to get yeah. the equipment as you know it, 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 it still is sort of an elitist type of sport and okay. the small ones that that I used to do when we first started, maybe there wasn't the liability issue, and there, and people, uh, I think as a whole came into it with a better fitness base, and yeah. and now we're getting a lot of people that uh, really haven't prepared adequately for the the, the races, and I, I'm not saying that in a harsh tone, because I, I want the entry level people to come into the sport. I worked with team and training, it was all beginners, and uh, and we and. We need those people to generate the energy in our, in our sports. So, yeah. but but I think the segue to the sport is, are the shorter events, and, and if they were more um, less costly, uh, that would be a great thing. And I'm just saying that. Well, everything costs money. You close streets, and it costs money. Yeah, yeah. Well, and a lot of the courses now are. Are closed courses or loop courses, and they're not, they don't have vehicle access. But it, again, you have to find the location
0: to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that means that the sport is yeah, it, it has a certain level of, of entry, um, of entry in terms of. of, of Equipment investment, which is still three sports, and, and the, the you know the race fees, and and it's it's um, obviously in somebody's what I would call in some of these play times, so it's got to be something where they they, mm-hmm. they are you know not just getting an, another credit card to the maximum to just do their sport. They need to see it as a I also think they need to see it as a, a sort of investment that you might not have anything like the equipment you'd love to have, but you're only just starting the process, and and right. you know lo and behold, eventually the triple down through the you know the technologies and the second-hand equipment and right, the, right. you know the, uh, the the person you know that always manages to be throwing kit out that's the kind of way that some people get into it but but they like you say they are the really enthusiastic energetic people that um it, it is amazing at this stage in a sport that um, has gone through so many surges of participation we seem to be in another one you know another surge of people that have probably seen other people similar Mm -hmm. to them and have said, I can do it. It's not just, you know, it it must be the Olympics, it must be greater coverage of the 70.3s and so on. But also I think there's a, I know people that have done this. Well, I think that also we,
1: the women have lagged behind the men. I'm using that word uh, very cautiously. Lagged the the opportunities maybe for women were not there. There are women-only events. More women are doing it. Yeah. I know in the states, and I just heard this uh, number, and I also heard, heard in, in the UK it's a 60-40 men-women percent split, and and here in the, in the UK it's 70-30. Yeah. So you know, women. Uh, should have the equal opportunity as men, and and, and hopefully I think in in this industry that we're in,
0: that opportunity is there. They just need to take the step yeah yeah and, and probably, probably it's that it's the chicken and egg isn't it as they see more people do it they they, they can perceive themselves as being able to do it and that, that may well be that you know that next 10 percent of of potential gun, you know female athletes to come on a par with the u.s would would still be another surge of people coming into it and you kind of think is it going to hit a glass ceiling and it doesn't seem to be just i, I to don't be think so I, I i mean this in the states we don't, we don't have a. a
1: developmental system for kids. Uh, they don't have a, you know, younger age, elementary school, high school programs. There are spotty areas, which have done very well with youth, and the USA Triathlon has a youth development program, but it's, it's, it's really limited right now. So we don't really have a feeder program, so we're, we're not getting kids like they do in swimming or running, or that are all of a sudden segueing as an adult in, into this. We're, we're getting adults to join this, you know, fairly new sport, and and I think a lot of the a lot of the adults that are, that are doing it, uh, certainly in the states, haven't had a real athletic background. But they, as you said, they, they hear from other folks, it's a challenge. And you know, my big thing is not necessarily race. I, I, I just wish people had a healthier lifestyle and a healthier yeah. stance. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I said, you know, the motivating thing is not that race in the middle of August. It's it's just being more consistent about being healthy and exercising regularly and eating properly and all those things. And I'm not trying to be Mr. Goody Shoes, <laughs> You know, I, 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 I mean, I, I, because that's what I profess. People always ask me, you know, why do you like doing And I just said, my my health definition is quite high. I like working out. I like doing all three. You know, I, I eat well. I don't sleep very well. I like red wine. I'm not a Puritan, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, we all have different definitions. So, it, but there are, there is a fairly high percentage, and I've heard this number, particularly in team and training, that we get a lot of people to do the race and then they disappear. Right. Where, where do they go? Do they fall back into
0: the woodwork or do they fall back into this unhealthy lifestyle? I don't know. But we want to retain them in the sport, yeah. Because it is a li- it is a lifestyle. It is a It is a because of the fact that the sports have a nice balancing, you know, composition of, of uh, you know high impact indoors, outdoors, low impact. You, you kind of it is it is by you know should it be by accident or was it actually by design that it's it's something that's a, a perfect combination of keeping people enthused by the fact that there's always variety in your in your possible options you can do. And I was only talking to somebody earlier about, um, in, the, in the early 90s, um, Spencer Smith's coach, Bill Black, was, was getting him to do ergometer work, rowing work. And I said, yeah, rowing great. You know, it's 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 upper body, lower body. It may not be the perfect mechanics of either of the sports, but it's still something that as a cross-training fitness activity, if you've got that in a hotel gym and that's the only option, do it. Yeah. And, and kind of see it as, yeah, that helps me do activity, which activity will help me do triathlon. Yeah. If it helps me, you know, be motivated because I need a different, you know, there's a lot of, of UK athletes that have to do indoor training, depends on where you are in the US. Mm-hmm. Lots of people there have to do indoor training. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the only option for a time and therefore to have another option and to see that something like you know a a gometer which may, may not have been on their radar when they first started fitness and triathlon yeah. suddenly become something to say hey that's that's just healthy and I like doing it and, and and you know what it means i don't start my triathlon training unfit i feel fitter yeah it. and rowers wow now that's a group of fit athletes
1: <laughs> yeah they are
0: super fit and and the the you know the training um, the training history and knowledge is is very very um deep and uh, I would say refined mm-hmm. because they've known about it it's been a university sport it's been a mm-hmm. high level uh, Norwegian German and uh, also uh, you know a kind of a UK sport mm-hmm. but you know the top UK coach came from Germany mm-hmm. and they know what they're doing with rowing and, and rowing is kind of you know still one of those things that they they cream the talent off of rowing to go to other sports but yeah. also it's got a great it's got a great cost training activity by the fact that you are low impact and yeah. Yeah. Do, you yeah. like, do you like concept too? Uh, uh, well, I have tried it. I mean, my techniques are
1: very good. It's kind of like Nordic skiing. You know, it's it's low impact, but it's real technique driven. It's, yeah. And for triathletes coming into sport, you know, a lot of them uh, have difficulty getting a skill set in swimming. It doesn't come overnight. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, yeah. yeah, but it's a great activity. I mean, I I travel so so darn much. You know, I, I'll I'll do anything to get exercise in and. Yeah. I'm still pathological about it. <laughs> have you getting, got okay? His,
0: dose of exercise around dessert, but have, have yeah. you got um, a a number that might be per day or per week that you always see as a threshold at which you then attain your minimum health RDA? Is there a level? Is there something you you attain that you say that's a bit like let's say what they they've re, uh, redefined the. Ascorbic acid, RDA, mm-hmm. at about 98 to 150 milligrams, mm-hmm. okay? day. Mm-hmm. What's your RDA of exercise? <laughs> very
1: good. Very good, Joe. Very, very eloquent. Okay. Well, I'm, 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 I'm on the, uh, yeah, the, RD, the RDA kind of covers the norm. And I'll, <laughs> uh, I'll say uh, the, the UL, the upper limit, is kind of where I'm at. Uh, right now I had knee surgery about five weeks ago. And, and the fact that I'm uh, training over here. Uh, or coming to the show excuse me my train has been limited so my RDA is and I, I said this before I could come over here if I could get in about 90 minutes a day that would be good for me and uh, that's kind of what I've done since I've arrived here. And I was really adamant about everyone who I had contact with. I said, you know, can you find me a pool? Is there an opportunity to get in a, in a swim workout? Yeah. Is there a gym at the hotel? No, there isn't. There's one that I could get into. And and even the, the day before I left, it was one of the, maybe the insecurities that I had, because I just said, you know, I just can't go there and pour out all this energy and not get my exercise dose. And and, and fortunately it was worked out. And, and, and even this morning, uh, uh, I think everyone that was at the Tri Show last night, I, you know, we, we walked out kind of together. It was 1 o'clock almost, and, and um, you sent me an email at 1.05. Hey, I so, said I would deliver. So. <laughs> yes, you did, and that, that was kind of, uh, that was late for me, but I actually was online, so I, I got it. And, uh, you know, everyone's blurry-eyed, but I said, I, I'm going to go to the gym this morning, which I did. So I did about 50 minutes in the gym, and I swam 2,000. So it wasn't quite my 90 minutes, but it was a,
0: a good enough dose under the circumstance. Yeah, okay. If, 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 yeah, what, what's, what's the ideal day? If you're back home, what's the ideal amount in a week you like doing? What's a really good Dave Scott feels happy week? Uh, about 20 hours. Is it? Yeah. Which is, which is let's, let's face it, for most, certainly most amateur triathletes and uh, a lot of semi-pros that are playing at it, you know, 20 hours is a is a wow that's a good solid week i know you get the you know the, the 20 30 30 35 range of, of the actual full-on you know pros but actually 20 hours is a is a that's why you're in well you shape. said
1: 20 i mean i you know i'm trying to look think back realistically i don't log my workouts now i don't keep track of it you what did i what did i do i have you know i have a good idea if i can get in four or five times a week on the swim i'm yeah. unable to run now i can do the surgery but i was trying to go four times at least a week running if i could do that and if i get on the bike two or three times mm-hmm. plus two strength training sometimes three yeah all of a sudden you get up to 16 to 20 hours and that's sort of a perfect scenario but you take away one of those yeah, days yeah, on each yeah, discipline yeah. And, it, and it drops down between you know 11
0: to 16 and that's probably more realistic than yeah. where i've been what's what's your uh, what's your best um best favorite ride what duration what what kind of uh, obviously we wouldn't know the location specifically but it's this boulder it's not that great long climb that goes uh, uh, up to like 14,000 that's amazing (laughs) which I I remember doing (laughs) well it doesn't go quite that high you're sort of embellishing it am I? yeah a little bit yeah, oh, yeah, you go up to ten thousand. Well, you could go up to ten, yeah, yeah, yeah so, ten thousand two hundred, yeah, three
1: thousand yeah. meters plus. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a nice ride. I mean, I haven't had the opportunity to do that, and of course it's winter right now, so you get up a little bit higher and it's cold. But however, a lot of people ride up what's called peak to peak road. Uh, it, on the weekends when I have had time. Uh, I, I've ridden one four-hour plus ride, I think, this winter. I've had a number uh, at three hours. That gives me a good dose. I feel like I, you know, if I go out in three hours and I, and I, I still seemingly have the battery to, to not boy, I hope I can make this three hours. I try to smash, you know, uh, at least two hours of that pretty hard. And uh, are you on voltage? Uh, no, I'm not. And I would love to. I all the athletes I coach, all the pros. Uh, are on wattage with the exception of my son; <laughs> he doesn't have one yet. Um, and I have, my, and most of the amateurs that I coach uh,
0: are, are on wattage, so it's yeah. a it's a great little tool. It's an awesome tool. Yeah, yeah. Something something that is only now just beginning to. <clears throat> scratch the surface of quite how good that is for pace judgment for Ah. you know the comments coming from the likes of van Leer this year about his gotta keep it in that zone yeah particularly in the last quarter of the ride and it can't drop off or it's a bad sign and all those kind of things yeah you know you uh you and many professionals prior to power meters must have had an innate ability to know what was the right level because for most people that power meter is a godsend it just tells them something that when they get on the bike of course they're going to feel good so they've got to watch it and and three hours, four hours, five hours later that's when it matters that they've got to be able to dial in that power level
1: well I think it works both ways I mean I I have uh, all my athletes on it at some of the races early early season races I want them to to dial into it as they become more intuitive later on uh, there are athletes that I say no, I don't want you to use it. And, and we do a lot of raw time trials without it. We download it afterwards so that they develop that innate ability that perceived yeah, exertion, yeah. so that they can get a feel for, for if it's 230 watts. So what is it, it isn't really? 230 watts? It, you know, you're actually 218, yeah. or you, and you had a couple of peaks at 245. You're a little bit too high. So the, the, and, and I, I think it, you know it's analogous to heart rate monitors or any other device that you may have. Your Garmin, if you're always <laughs> looking at your pace or your speed yeah, or your wattage. Yeah. Um I mean, as you know, it, it, that innate ability to kind of sense, see my muscle overload, my breathing rate, my recovery coming up and off a climb, uh, if someone pulls ahead and I'm going after them, what does that feel like? And if you're so dependent on the watts, see, if I get up to 265 in the watts, I'm going to explode. Well, it, it, in, a, in a race, quite often, as you said, you're, you're rested. You have the ability to, to go up 3 to 4% higher than you ever have. Yeah. yeah. And, and the peaks are higher and the sustained level is a little bit higher. I and mean, that's the optimum race so uh, i 'm ambivalent about saying oh you should you should use that power meter one hundred percent of the time. you should all race with it." And I think it
0: depends on the character makeup of the person yeah, 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 because sometimes they 've got to go in how they feel, and they are they' the person at the helm, mm-hmm. they know what 's going on, and if they're, if they 're listening correctly, they get that information correctly I think there's a lot of you know there 's a lot of uh, number crunching going on with yeah. with, with Watson. Most of it is no surprise, the number of watts per kilo, the yeah, yeah. you know, the people that get it wrong their downloads and their later explanations through training peaks or whatever it just says whatever everyone yeah. ever saw, right, right. but there's a graphic illustration of this yeah. line doing yeah. a doing the a very dip. very nasty dip. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was heart monitor downloads, uh, talk downloads, whatever. It's a lie detector mm-hmm. because people can say, mm-hmm. "Oh yeah, I did that session at, at, at X and, and Y," and, yeah. uh, and actually, when you see the download and when they finally let you have the download because they. They were they were ambivalent that they didn't have yeah. it and oh okay so yeah it was working you kind of see that mm. the story was in the data mm-hmm. and that's what you were saying you know was it really 230 and I think you know people need something to, to, to act as a, as a guide but inherently you got to know what your body's doing and yeah. sometimes there's the, there is a few more percent there and often when it comes to racing there's there's nothing that, that should be telling you anything that you shouldn't already know and be at the point of saying right this is the point where it's really going to come from push to shove right. and And actually it doesn't matter what the heart rate is, if that's the point, that's that's what goes on. And I think you're right, there are a lot of people that you know they almost believe the the heart rate monitor device when it's saying, you know, two two four. It's like that's a default (laughs) that hits when you when you go past a mobile (laughs) phone mask (laughs) or whatever. Don't think you're two two four. Yeah, your heart rate monitor is overheated. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) And and it's um, you know, we've got some great technologies, we've got analysis of things, but I do I do like the simplicity and I love some simple sensors. That are just the activity with with no electronic, you know, no monitoring where you're going by GPS yeah. or whatever. Just 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 feeling the way through it, and, and that that I think is an inherent um, love that if people are into exercise, that's what it's all about. It's it's not. The watts, the mm. watts be the icing on the cake, right. and, um, right. and and it's interesting that you say that you know the majority of athletes are on power because I think from a from a you know a if you like a committed and, and serious level that's where it's at. People yeah. are moving onto yeah. they're moving on to watts. Yeah, they have um, to they have. I think they
1: have to just to play the game that you're talking about, and your your words are perfect. It's a, it's a lie detector test. It it allows the athlete to really say you know um, you know my threshold is. X, was I able to sustain that on that ride or that set that I was doing? Or, you know, I'm trying to hit a VO2 set. I can't do that. I'm, I'm not able to bop it up, you know, 0.2 or 0.3 watts per kilogram above my lactate threshold or whatever your measurement is because it, here's the goal, and, and that's what I write in the workouts. I here's the goal. That, uh but I, I think it can also work against the athlete, the ones that are overzealous, the type A ones that want to make every, every ride at that higher level. Uh, you know, Sometimes you want to take it off and just say, hey, just just go out there and, and not, not enjoy it, but allow yourself- <laughs> Not enjoy it, <laughs> hey, don't uh, no, enjoy no, it. <laughs> I, I, I'm saying enjoy I, I'll say, I think a lot of times when you use enjoy that means to go easy. And I think you know people always say, oh, I don't like competition. I say, I say competition brings out the best. Of, you know, It's a dog-eat-dog world and we're all competitive and don't deny it. That's why we're at the top of the future. Yeah, exactly. So I, uh, when people say, oh, I just want to enjoy myself, I say, well, enjoy yourself, but let, let, let's work moderately hard the whole time. Don't use your power meter, but let's download it at the end. Well, it's still a game. It's still a game that, that we played, where we didn't have power meters. Uh, I'm not quite as fresh, but I'm going
0: to go moderately hard. You know, well, what's that definition? I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I think I first went on a, a power system in 89, which was an indoor one, and it kind of, you know... Uh, it, Probably didn't work, Joe. It was, that was, yeah. it was, it was uh, based at uh, University of Chichester, and it was measuring peak power and um, stuff. And it was, you know, it was, it was, it was kind of uh, the system that British Cycling first started using, and it, and it was quite interesting. But obviously, you couldn't take it onto the road. Yeah, yeah. So you had numbers, and those numbers of, you know... Yeah. That they had numbers even then. I've still got the photocopied piece of paper that for certain times over uh, 10 miles, 25 miles, they could yeah. predict what kind of wattage would need based on the rider mm-hmm. kilograms. And so, it, yeah, it, it's, um, it's one of those things whereby the electronic stuff shouldn't detract, but it often is a very good detector of how much somebody really did, yeah. and how good they were at really pacing themselves. Mm. Um, Thank you for this second half. That means we've got a half an hour of Dave Scott right on this right on this laptop. Well, I'm and, not sure I offered much, but thank you, Joe. No, Your it's, time. it's lovely. It's really good, and it's nice that in, in coming to the show, you kind of add something. There's nobody in the UK that that has the equivalent pool that you have, and I know you don't know that because that's 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 you know it's just that thing that you know this is this is the uh, the point in the sport where a lot of people don't necessarily. Uh, uh, have not necessarily seen the original footage of, of the Ironmans through the early 80s to late 80s and so forth but there's a sense that you as an athlete and then you as a coach and, and you as part of the sport actually you're an ongoing entity that really does add stuff to, to what we all think we're kind of working out from time to time but there's still a lot to learn mm. a hell of a lot to learn and that, that's what's encouraging and that's what's fun is that right at the point where you kind of think I think most of that's known there's this little nudge into the equation that you've mm. got to take into account so well, thank you so much thank you, Joe. it's been a pleasure thanks Dave